brand is ultimately how other people perceive you. And story is how people learn. And what's really interesting, and I try to coach partners in this, is storytelling, the reason it's so important is it engages your brain and it engages your, your imagination and your emotion and it builds empathy and people can start to see themselves in story. Welcome to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. In this podcast, Vince Mincione, a proven industry sales and partner executive, brings together technology leaders to discuss transformational trends and to deconstruct successful strategies to thrive and survive in the rapid age of cloud transformation. And now your host, Vince Mincione. Welcome to, or welcome back to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering where technology leaders come to optimize results through successful partnering. I'm Vince Menzion, your host, and my mission is to help leaders like you unlock the leadership principles and learnings of the best in the business to get partnerships right, optimize for success, and deliver your greatest results. A shiny quarter in a bucket of shiny quarters. I've used this to describe how partners need to get above the noise. Working with the tech giant. In a world where technology is rapidly evolving and more organizations are becoming tech organizations, the importance of standing out is increasingly fundamental. My next guest is no stranger to the challenge these organizations face. Gail Mercer McKay has built an enviable reputation and an outstanding business and platform at Mercer McKay Digital Storytelling to help technology organizations on their quest to stand out as Microsoft partners. In this episode, we address the dilemma of standing out. And Gail offers sage advice on the importance of investing in marketing and why brand and brand storytelling are fundamental to success. We also discuss her amazing career trajectory as a woman entrepreneur building and scaling a successful enterprise and the platform she has launched to help more organizations at scale. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed welcoming Gail Mercer McKay. Gail, welcome to the podcast. Vince, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. I am so excited to finally welcome you as a guest on Ultimate Guide to Partnering. You're the founder of Mercer McKay Marketing and a trusted voice and marketing leader in a world we both really care about. So I'm excited to welcome you. Well, thank you. You have an amazing podcast. You and I, have ha- and I have had some great conversations over the years. And, you know, you're doing some fantastic things with partners and helping them partner and get to market. And so now I'm excited to talk to you about the piece that I'm really passionate about. <laughs> so let's get started. I want to learn a little bit more. I, want our, I know our listeners want to learn a little bit more about you, your journey, and Mercer McKay. Yes, absolutely. So I'm the founder. I'm the founder and the CEO here at Mercer McKay Digital Storytelling. And we are a marketing agency for the Microsoft Partner Channel. We focus specifically with helping partners develop thought leadership assets and campaigns that drive digital connections. So, you know, partners are amazing at building these phenomenal solutions, but they're not always great at telling their story to connect with the people that they can help. And so at our agency, we do everything. We can span from traditional assets like sell sheets and case studies and battle cards 
through to helping partners build their entire brand and platform on social media, through to a full multi-channel, multimedia thought leadership campaign that might have video and advertising and LinkedIn campaigns and all of those things in it. You know, what you said is so telling because I find that so many organizations struggle telling their story, right? We get caught up in the bits and the bites and what we can do and maybe overarching what we think we could do for everybody, but we don't do a really good job there. So how do you help these organizations get better there? Well, I think first and foremost, we're storytellers. You know, my story is that I was in sales, technology sales, my whole career before I started this company. And I knew nothing about technology. I was an English major at university. I fell into a tech company. So I knew nothing. So the only thing I could do was lean on my storytelling chops to try and close a deal. And stories are always about transformation. So I would be painting a vision, you know, in the early days, it was, why should I buy a word processing package? Well, let me tell you, your, your staff will be less stressed. Nobody will have to bold or underline ever again. You know, they will do spell check for you. So you paint that story of what their world is going to be like. And that's how we help partners are, are, we have uh, multiple, multiple processes and templates and wizards that we walk partners through to try and get them off of the technology and get them into telling a story. The importance of storytelling is so critical today. Have both been talking about this time like no other, right? Coming out of this time, hopefully soon. What do you think, you know, coming out of Inspire, I'm just kind of interested in what you thought were the most profound things that you learned and how are you helping your customers, your, your clients apply some of those? Oh, I'm so glad you asked me that question. I love that question. Without a doubt for me, it's the industry focus that both Satya and Judson talked about in their keynotes. You know, they talked about the importance for partners to sell in the vertical markets. And this is something that I've been preaching for years because it enables partners to broaden who they sell to in an organization. It opens the door to get them out of IT. You can still sell into IT. You're still going to need to do that. But to get into other aspects of the organization, because If you're going to talk to them, you're going to be having a business discussion. And if you can have a business discussion, you can talk to anyone. You can talk to HR, to operations, to sales, to finance. And that's where every IT project originates. It originates in the business. And it, you know, you and I talked about as we were prepping for this call, how we kind of got known for writing, writing Microsoft awards and helping partners write awards. It never ceases to amaze me every year that partners, many, many of the partners have no clue how the work they did impacted the business of the customer they served. That's where the story is. So, and that's what gets people excited about wanting to do something with you because you've made an impact, you've made a change, you've made a difference. You know, you reminded me of when I was a GM back at Microsoft and we would prepare the deck for the mid-year review, which was, you know, this take us months to do this process and we'd use six point type, but it was never the story about the impact for the customer. It it was all the data points. It was all the data points and the six point type was covering off on the metrics and the scorecard metrics, you know, and we never got really down to the story. It's just so important here. It's definitely served me well my entire career. So, you know, and, and it's introduced me and taken me places that, I never would have dreamed I could have gone. And as a young, young salesperson, I had the opportunity to go to the prime minister's office in Canada and completely transform their creative reply system. You know, and it was all about 
the story. It was all about how we're going to use technology to allow the prime minister of Canada to communicate with every Canadian if they wrote, if they wrote the prime minister a letter, how could the prime minister communicate with every Canadian? And we use technology to do that, but we won the business by telling the story. You know, it strikes me that you were doing industry before Microsoft in many respects. Like we talked about this industry lens and focus, and I spent a lot of time in the public sector as well. And we knew industry because we had to apply technology to help these organizations transform, to help constituents and the like. And we're starting to see this, and I love this lens, this Microsoft lens here to getting very specific about solution areas now on storytelling for industry. So can we go there a little bit? I'd like to spend some time with you here. I, you know, you coach these organizations on how to achieve high performance in this Microsoft world. And applying brand and brand storytelling is so fundamental to ultimate success. Can you share with our listeners how you think about brand and brand storytelling? And specifically now that we're moving into this lens of industry. Brand is ultimately how other people perceive you. And story is how people learn. And what's really interesting, and I try to coach partners in this, is storytelling, the reason it's so important is it engages your brain and it engages your, your imagination and your emotion and it builds empathy and people can start to see themselves in story. It's funny, I was, when the pandemic started and everything went virtual, a conference I was supposed to go to, a three-day conference turned into a virtual three-day conference and I've got the attention span of a gnat. So I thought, I'll start it, but I don't know how long I'm going to stay at a virtual conference. By day three, I was still hanging on to it. And I thought, why am I so engaged? Any other conference, I would have been zoned out by now. And when I went back and looked at the presenter, and it was a single presenter through the whole three days, he told a story with every data point. He would come out and say, a data point, email is not dead. That would be his data point. And then he would tell this incredible story. And then he would move to the next data point and tell a story. So it was really a series of stories. And it was so memorable. And that's really, you know, that's how I stayed connected. And that's what we try to coach our partners in. I may have told you this story before, but when I started my company, which was 13 years ago, and I searched for myself online, I found almost nothing. And I realized I had no brand recognition. And most partners, by the way, a lot of partners find themselves there. They may have been in the business for 20 years, but they search themselves and there's not much out there on them. And so it made me really deliberate at the time about how I wanted to control my own narrative and how I wanted to build my brand. And so I borrowed my brand and I coach partners on this all the time, borrow the brand. I borrowed my brand from Microsoft by associating myself with the Microsoft ecosystem. And I stayed very focused on everything I did. I posted speaking engagements, webinars, social, everything was about how Microsoft partners to become better marketers. So over time, I was able to build that brand without investing $5 million, like most brand building costs, to actually build a brand within this ecosystem of Microsoft. So what are some of the things you do specifically to help these technology organizations? The first thing is I try to understand where they are and where they want to go. So where are you in your marketing efforts? Like, have you ever done anything or have you done something? Where are you and where do you want to go? And how many resources do you have? And do you want to do, your, do it yourself or do you want to outsource it all? Or do you want some kind of blend of the middle? And a lot of times partners want to do it themselves, don't have a lot of resources, but want to see some kind of impact. And with those, I, I really focus on 
very, very small tactics. I say the best thing you can do if you haven't got a lot of money or time to invest and you want to build your brand and attract these digital connections is get pick one thought leader in your organization, somebody who's not going to leave the organization, somebody who probably is invested, a co-owner, and make them the thought leader and focus building their thought leadership on LinkedIn And then all of the posts and the blogs and the social media, you need to have a disciplined approach of how regular you're going to post, you know, once a week, once every two weeks, whatever it is, not, not shorter than once every two, not any longer than once every two weeks, but, but keep a regular discipline and in parallel develop one gated asset. And a gated asset is a thought leadership piece, like an ebook that somebody would trade an email address for. And so what you are going to do is you are going to start to attract people to you who are interested in what you have to say around the topic that you know better than anybody else that you're an expert in. You are going to, as they read your LinkedIn posts and as they follow you on social or read your blogs, you're going to encourage them to download this gated asset. And that gated asset, they're going to trade you an email address for. So once you've you've got them in your email list, now you can start to communicate out to them on a regular basis, maybe once every two weeks, send an email of value to them about the topic that you know. And I don't care if the partner only has 50 names on that email list. Those are 50 people who care about what the partner has to say. And that's how partners can begin to build their brand, their expertise, their focus. And they can do anything on top of that. They can do all kinds of things, but that's a core found, one of the core foundational elements for building out a strong marketing program. I love what you had to say here because you laid it out so simply for me to understand. Once I built this person, my gated asset, I like that term. I've never, don't think I've heard that term before. I now have given you my email address. We're building a trusted relationship, aren't we? And then we're, you know, we're moving forward together. Do you call it drip marketing, by the way? Is that the term where I'm informing you on a regular basis. I'm building this relationship through my email campaign. Well, I call it nurture marketing. I, it is the same as drip marketing, but I call it nurture marketing because that's really what it is. You're trying to nurture a digital relationship. You know, if you get these things in place that I've just talked to. So if partners then start to email market out to this list, the next, the biggest mistake that they make with email marketing is they forget about the customer and they start talking about themselves and they forget about the thought leadership and they start talking about product. And that will make a warm list cold so very, very fast. You want to think about, if I was opening this email, what would I want to read? What do you, Vince, know as an expert in P2P marketing? What do you know that your list wants to know? What are the little tidbits that you can share with them? And the nice thing about it is you keep them super short. You want to be able to read the email in your phone browser. You want to be able to open your phone and see the whole length of the email that, that, that you get from me or from you in that phone screen. But the, the email should link out to other high value content and partners don't have to write that content themselves. They can send them to Harvard Business Review, to a Microsoft blog, to you know, uh, the Wall Street Journal, to MIT, to Forbes. There's tons of great content out there. Partners don't have to write it. They just have to present it to the client and saying, here's some great research from McKinsey. It's talking about real uh, realtors or it's talking about manufacturing and how manufacturing 
is moving into more robotics. Read this if you are you know, looking for ways to streamline your organization. So it's that kind of an email where you're really presenting them with great value so that they never want to unsubscribe. I love what you have to say here. And I think about a lot of these tech organizations that you know, they just don't invest in marketing, right? They've spent all their time building their competencies and their practice. Do you work with them? Do you ride alongside them? Do you, what do you, what do you recommend in terms of them building out their own capabilities internally? Well, first of all, it's great observation because the first thing that these companies invest in is the tech itself, building the tech. And then the second thing is the sales team because you need a sales team to sell it. And then marketing gets what's left over and there's not that much left over. And marketing is a very deep science now. It's complex and, you know, you, it's a specialized, highly specialized skill. So that's why we try to tell the partners, don't boil the ocean, you know, just don't try to do too much. But, and we do work with partners where they outsource all their marketing to us and we've had long-term relationships and we've been working with them for a long time, but that gets expensive and most partners can't afford that. And so what we have developed is product, a software solution built on the Microsoft platform. So here's where I'm going to do the selfless or the shameless uh, self-promotion a little bit. (laughs) Please do. (laughs) Yeah, we have a product called Daxi. It's built on Microsoft Dynamics. And you know, the problem that I had as a partner is Microsoft and other vendors would have portals, partner portals that I could go to and get some great assets, you know, a battle card or you know, a play sheet or a customer case study, but it was very product focused and it was very focused on the vendor themselves. And I wasn't sure how to make it mine. And then the second problem was I didn't know how to use it. How, how would I use this in a campaign? How, what does a campaign look like? How do I build out a campaign? How do I measure a campaign? How long should it last? What would success metrics be? I had a million questions. This is when I was running sales and was more on the sales side before I got into marketing. I didn't know all these things. And it's still the same today. Partners, I, I get phone calls all the time from partners who go, okay, Gail, I just hired this great college intern out of university, but they don't know really how to market in our industry. Could you spend a couple of hours with them and do a brain dump to get them going? And I would love to, but I can't do that anymore. But we've used Daxi to do that for us and for the partners. So Daxi is a combination of templates. Some are blank and some are pre-populated based on campaigns that we know are coming like ransomware and other kinds of things. It's wizards, which go through a series of questions and spit out documents at the end. It is video training and it is live training and it is credits to access experts and trade your credits to actually get some professional services to get things done. So it's kind of that in the middle of not fully self-service, a lot of self-service there. And it's not the high touch of I'm going to outsource it all or just get a, a, a marketing agency to do it all. It's somewhere in the middle where a partner can go and do a campaign end to end over a four or six or eight week process, build out all the assets, ask questions, get feedback, trade in a credit if they need some help on something. And at the end, execute it and have somebody to call if they go, I only had a 8% open rate on my email. What, what was I doing wrong? Or I had a 30% open rate on my email. Is that good? What should I be doing now? So it's really, you know, some people said it's kind of like having a CMO in your back pocket. It's just having that extra hand to help guide you through the process. So we just finished our first beta. We actually launched it a year ago with Microsoft Awards and had great success with partners using it to write and win Microsoft Partner Awards. 
And then we launched our first beta this summer for sales enablement assets. And we took a set of partners through and went everything from building their unique value proposition through to their battle card, their win wire, customer sell sheet. And, and we got great feedback that it was very, very useful. So all these partners were able to build assets and use them. And now we're just taking the final stages of taking applications for our second and final beta, which is called Marketing Foundations. And Marketing Foundations will do a full thought leadership campaign from the campaign plan through to building your gated asset, through to all your nurture emails, your landing page, your social, everything that you need. And then how do you measure it? How do you launch and measure it at the end? We've already had 60 partners apply for it. I'm not sure how many we're going to take, but we are taking a few more applicants and then we'll go through and and pick the partners that we think are going to be the most successful in it. And it's free. It's absolutely 100% free, the beta. Wow, that's amazing. So we're going to put links in to Daxi in our show notes. So tell me a little bit more. Like, is it layered on top of a technology platform? Is it a technology platform itself? And then, yeah. Yeah. So it's on Dynamics. It's on Microsoft Dynamics. So it's in the Azure Cloud. We're using, you know, Power Automate and Power BI. And we're using all the, the full richness of Dynamics, but it's our own IP and our own software built on, on the Dynamics platform. And, and we picked Dynamics because when we first envisioned all this and we looked at how long it was going to take to build, it was going to take us a year to build this. And I was in the Women in Cloud, you know, Chitra. I was in the Women in Cloud network with Chitra. And my mentor, uh, Stacey Tatum, is in the Dynamics practice at Microsoft. She was one of my mentors. She said, why did you build this on Dynamics? And I said, Dynamics? that's an old dog. You know, I, I sold, I sold Microsoft CRM version one. I wouldn't build anything on that. She goes, no, 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 no. It's a brand new, it's all brand new, brand new platform. brand new. So we hired a uh, cognizant to do an eval for us. They did an evaluation of all of our requirements against the capabilities of dynamics and came back to the report and said, yeah, you absolutely can build it. And we built version one in eight weeks and launched it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's how fast. So it was very cool. You know, you mentioned some great friends here, like Chaitra and Stacy, and the folks that, some of the folks at Cognizant, which came from some companies that we all know very well. Great work. I, I can't wait to learn more about the platform. We're going to provide some links to it in our show notes. So we talked about how organizations struggle, and you know, we're all going to be locked and loading for success for 2022. What steps do you believe? Microsoft partners need to take to optimize for success this coming year? Well, co-sell and industry, you know, those are two big messages that came out of Inspire. And, you know, we know that the Microsoft sellers are being paid, is it 30% uplift if they co-sell with a partner? So get those solutions co-sell ready and get them up there in the Azure marketplace. Make sure your solutions are co-sell ready and make sure they're industry focused. You know, so, you know, because Microsoft partners, the other thing that's on their scorecard, I think they all have to take industry training this year. So I don't know if they're getting scorecarded met, scorecarded on, you know, how many industries they sell into, but they're, they definitely are being told to have industry conversations. So I think if you're a partner and you can talk to some industry solutions and it's not hard, you know, if you're a partner and you say, well, I, we don't, we do horizontal, we don't do industry. Go to your top 100 customers and divide them up by industry and look at them. And if you find 80% of them are in manufacturing, well, guess what? You do industry. Now you just need to dive a little deeper and start to have 
learn some manufacturing jargon, learn some of the challenges that manufacturers are facing. It's a very small uplift to go from rolling out a whole bunch of solutions in manufacturing to changing some of your solution sheets, the copy on your website, some of your emails to really talk to that industry. Some of these organizations that are sort of on the the new side, the newer organizations like retail and manufacturing, they're really they're really embracing because they need partners that are having those conversations and helping them get to the line of business owners within those organizations. Well, it's the business owners that will find the budget every time. And I remember talking to one salesperson who lost a, a bid in the energy. He, he was had a, a client in the energy sector. He'd been, he just attended some sales training that said, you know, ask them about their business challenges. But this whole thing was an RFP and, you know, it was won by his competition and it was a four-year win and he wasn't going to get any more business from them for four years. And so he thought, well, I'm going to go back in and I'm going to try to have a business conversation. (laughs) So he organized this meeting, got a bunch of people he knew at the client and said, I really want to understand where your business is going and what you're doing. And he had like the CIO in there. And the CEO said, why are you asking me about my business? You're just a tech vendor. And he goes, no, no, that's the focus we're going on now. We want to understand. And he goes, well, here, here's my billion dollar or my multi-million dollar problem. And he painted it on a whiteboard form, which was a business problem about, in this case, it was about getting, getting metrics back from the oil fields in a timely manner for them to do analysis on. And so the rep said, well, that's something that our engineers might be able to solve for you. Give that to me and let me come back in four weeks. He came back in four weeks with a, with a solution that they designed on paper that they said, we'll pilot this in our lab for you. And ultimately it ended up in like a $10 million deal for him. And the vendor that did not, that won the original RFP, yeah, he got maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars with a business, but this guy got a $10 million deal. So there you go. They'll find money. Business will find money if you can solve a problem for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I'd love to pivot here, Gail. As you might know from listening to other episodes, I'm fascinated with the career journey and how leaders got to this spot in their career. And as a woman entrepreneur, I'm equally fascinated with your career journey and how that might be differentiated from others. Can you tell us a little bit about like, was there a spark that set you off on the path to entrepreneurship? Oh, oh yeah, I was fired. <laughs> I was fired from my job as VP sales. I, I butted heads with the president and I was unceremoniously fired. And, you know, it's interesting because I never saw myself as a risk taker. So I'd, I'd always taken, made safe career decisions. I'd picked the safe job with the safe company because I was a little fearful of not having a paycheck and not having benefits and not having a job. But all of a sudden I found myself, you know, ceremoniously dumped on my arse. And I, at the time, the, my cell phone was owned by the company. I took the cell phone back. I had no cell phone. So for two weeks I went away and I journaled. I journaled every day, a stream of consciousness journaling. And sometimes I would do it for four hours at a time. We just write without thinking. And I didn't read anything I wrote. And at the end of two weeks, I read everything in all the journals that I'd filled up. And the theme that came back to me was writing and storytelling. This is one, a passion of mine is something I've loved my whole life. And I said, that's it. I'm going to be a writer. And I came back all excited. And I told my friends, I'm going to be a writer. And many of my friends are writers. And they said, you're going to starve. Writers don't make any money. And I said, well, I don't know, but I, I know I have to go in this direction. And there were four voicemails on my phone and 
from four job offers. And I called them all back and I said, I'm not in sales anymore. I'm a writer now. And one of those gentlemen said, oh, he said, well, I need some marketing writing. Can you do marketing writing? And I said, sure, I can. He goes, I need like some emails and some website copy. I said, yeah, I can do it. And he goes, well, how much do you charge? And I said, well, how much is your budget? And he said, I've got $2,000 a month. I said, that's exactly what I charge. So we did a deal where I went in one day a week and did marketing for them. And that was the birth of Mercer McKay Digital Storytelling. I love that. So was there like a best piece of advice you received on this journey? I would say my best advice came five years ago because I really just ran my business like a solopreneur as a freelancer. And if I got big contracts, I would bring other freelancers in to help me deliver. And so we had this loose community of freelancers. But five years ago, I realized I was going to, I may not be able to work until I'm 100. I <laughs> have to one day have an exit strategy. And so I sat down with a mentor of mine who has been in the tech sector forever and bought and sold lots of companies. And I said, I've got this successful little freelance writing business and we make about half a million dollars a year. Could I ever sell it? And he said, no. He said, you couldn't sell it at all. He said, you need four things if you're going to sell this. And I said, well, what are they? He said, first of all, you need IP. And in our business, that's usually some kind of software. And the second thing you need is you need ongoing contracts with customers. You can't have these one and done where customers come and go. And the third thing you need are employees. You can't have freelancers. No one will purchase a company that is full of freelancers. And the fourth thing you need is a sales team. You need to show that other people can sell this. It's not just you. So that was five years ago. And we have 30 full-time employees. We have 100 people when you look at all of our contractors that we have as well. We have a software product. We have customers that contract with us on a regular basis. We have a sales team of, I think we have four people in our sales team now, and we're going to close this year at $7 million. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with what we've done in the last five years. That's fantastic. That is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, congratulations on your success. Thanks. And as a woman, I believe that it, it's challenging. You know, there's challenges to every business, right? I think as a woman, Taito talks about this all the time, access to people and to capital. But I think I was probably stopped myself more than anything. I think I had fear of taking risks. And I would say that, you know, in the last few years, and you know this in the, in the Microsoft channel, women like Gabriella Schuster and, and other leaders in Microsoft have really stepped up and tried to open doors and make it easier. You know, I've co-founded the WIT Network with Corrine Sharp and, and Christine Bongard, and that's all about helping women. So I'm finding that there are male allies like you, Vince, you're one of our male allies that are really eager to help women progress in business. And there's other women who are saying, go sister, go, we'll support you. So there's a lot of support in our community, in our technology community of people that want to enable women to be successful in business. I'm glad you bring that up. And thank you very much for saying that about being an ally. But you know, I came back out a year ago and started back up as Ultimate Partnerships. And I looked around and I was like, this is still a white male dominated world in our technology sector. And, you know, I'm convicted it on this as well, that we need to, you know, raise all the voices. You know, I, I love Gabriella's TED Talk, right? I love what she has to say. And that we have to become 
And, you know, so I'm with you on this. I, and I, and by the way, I had one period of time just a few weeks ago where I had three female CEOs on the podcast back to back. But then I did a, a search like on the top tech companies that are being featured, the top SaaS software companies. And there were only a handful of women CEOs of those organizations still today. We still have a long way to go. You are absolutely right. We do have a long way to go. But I feel like the journey is friendlier. I feel like we're talking about it. Gabrielle, as you know, is now on a mission to help organizations figure out how to measure themselves and to set some standards for measurement. Because until we can have measurements in place, it's going to be difficult to record our progress. And it's going to be difficult for companies to say, I need to put this in place to enable ongoing progress. But I don't know, maybe I'm just optimistic. My sunglasses are actually rose colored. People tease me because I do have rose colored sunglasses. But I just look at the world in a very half, glasses half full kind of approach. I love your optimism. I try to be as, you know, it's funny, we have had Dr. Michael Gervais here as a guest, and we're having him back again. And he talks about practicing optimism. And I try to do that as part of part of my daily ritual. So that's good. Well, I always thought of you as an optimist. <laughs> <laughs> I've been very blessed. And I think that people have different life experiences. And I'll just say that mine has been blessed. So, you know, I want to have a little fun now. I love your career journey, but I just want to have a little fun. I have become a big fan of Spotify. Love their playlists. I love the ability to share music with others. And I was thinking about this, like, what if you were like on a desert island or you were kind of in a place where you only could listen to five songs? I have on your playlist only five songs. If I was to ask you, Gail, like, what would those five songs for you be? And these are the only songs you're going to be able to listen to for the foreseeable future. What five songs would you select and why? Well, first of all, I'm a campfire guitar playing girl. Gibson, I got a Gibson, I got a Taylor, I can three chord anything. And at the start of the pandemic, you know, when we weren't sure where we were going or what was happening, I would take a familiar song, familiar to me anyway, and write new lyrics to it and sing it every week to our entire team. And people who could guess the title of the song or guess the subject of the song first, we were on Teams and they'd go into Teams chat, would win a, a, a gift card. So I would pick songs that are easy to play on my guitar and that I could write new lyrics to. So I would pick Sloop John B by the Beach Boys. I would pick Back Home Again by John Denver. I would pick Wagon Wheel by Darius Rucker. Oh, wow. I love Darius. I would pick, I love Darius Rucker. He was at a Microsoft Partner Summit, WPC. When it was called WPC, he played, Hootie and the Blowfish played for the American Party. I tried so hard to get in. So good. I, well, in fact, I lived in Charleston for two years and I got to meet his wife and children. So it was fun. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Oh, yeah. He seems like such a genuine guy. Probably Obla D, Obla Da by the Beatles. Yes. Great song. And uh, Leave It on a Jet Plane. Ah, I love Leave It on a Jet. That is, which version? Well, it would be my version, but I do love, I love the John Denver version and I love the Chantel Kreviesek version as well. Yeah. Okay. Because I also like the Peter, Paul, and Mary version, but the John Denver is my favorite as well. But I love contrasting. I have gone, I actually have sat there with Spotify and played them both side by side. Like the, 
they're so I love that song. It's just a great song. Well, it's I I will I was driving with some girlfriends on a camp trip last summer and I said to them, I said, I have a feeling that Darius Rucker wants me to sing along with him. And I put Wagon Wheel on and I was singing harmony at the top of my lungs and they were killing themselves laughing. So yeah, that's that's my fantasy that Darius Rucker wants to sing with me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, we are going to put links to these songs in our show notes by the originals, by the way, unless you want to give us recorded versions. You're good. You're no, I won't give you the recorded version, but you you go for it. No, we're gonna put a you know, no, we're gonna have a Spotify playlist specifically for this episode so people can download it. And I also want to share information about you. Like, but for our listeners who want to reach out to you, Gail, what's the best way for them to do so? So LinkedIn, if they, if they reach out to me on LinkedIn and uh, ask for connection, but tell me why you want to connect because I get hundreds of connection requests every day. And I really only pick the, except the ones that, that make sense that I, I'm going to connect with. Then with uh, our company, we're mercermckay.com for our agency. And you can get to Daxi from there, but you can also go right to Daxi, which is D-A-X-A-I.com. I love that. I love that. Gail, I have just delighted to have you as a guest here today. really enjoyed this conversation. You are such a bright light, and I love the work that you do. We both equally, I believe, care about this ecosystem and the people in it. So I can't wait to maybe hoist a beverage with you when we're back at Inspire next year, hopefully in person. Hey, listen, that sounds awesome. But you know, if the borders open up, I'm driving my RV right down to the Florida coast this winter. So on my way out west. So I'll stop by and pull up in your driveway and we can, I can host you right in my own RV. I can't wait. I can't wait. I'll have a beverage waiting for you when you get here. What do you want? What do you? What, what that can I get sounds you? awesome. I, I'm a mocktail girl, so I'll have anything with you know a little fizzy water and some fruit in it, and I'm happy as a clam. All right. Well, thank you so much, and thanks again for being a guest. Thanks, Vince, for having me. It was a pleasure. Look forward to working with you some more. Same here. Same here. As with each of my episodes, I appreciate your support. Please subscribe on your favorite platform. Like, comment tell your friends about Ultimate Guide to Partnering and where they can find us. And I'd love your feedback. Please like the podcast and provide comments or reach out to me at Vince Menzion on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also like and follow Ultimate Guide to Partnering on our Facebook page or drop me a line at vincem at ultimate-partnerships.com. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Ultimate Partnerships. Ultimate Partnerships helps you get the most results from your partnerships. Get partnerships right, optimize for success, deliver results. For more information, go to ultimate-partnerships.com. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Ultimate Guide to Partnering with your host, Vince Minzion. Online at ultimateguidetopartnering.com and facebook.com slash ultimateguidetopartnering. We'll catch you next time on The Ultimate Guide to Partnering.